came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. One great show for you today. First Lady of Virginia, Suzanne Youngkin, she is worried about kids and fentanyl, and we're going to hear what each has to say. Senator Ron Johnson, Wisconsin, Hakeem Jeffries, he's only a few votes away from becoming Speaker. What does he have to say from the Democratic side? Dick Morris, is it Biden winning or is it Trump winning? Dr. Peter Michalos, what do we have to do to live to be 100 and let's start off with our good friend, Admiral James Tavridis, update of what's going on in the world. With us today is Admiral James Tavridis. He was a Supreme Allied Commander of NATO for four years. Also, Vice Chair of Global Affairs for the Carlisle Group and Chairman of the Board of the Trustees of the Rockefeller Foundation. So he makes the money, gives away the money. Admiral, <laughs> what's going on in the world right now that you're worried about? First, I want to start with just a tragedy, which is a murder of Alexei Navalny. Uh, this was the leader of the opposition in Russia. There's a, a sham election. Navalny was imprisoned by Putin unjustly. And quote, mysteriously, end quote, died in prison a few days ago, pretty clearly murdered by the forces of Vladimir Putin. That's a personal tragedy because Alexei Navalny was a man of immense integrity and honor, a believer in democracy and liberty. But it's also an indication to the West of how confident, how strong Vladimir Putin feels he is. He can, with complete impunity, murder his leading political opponent. So we had to do a couple of things here. Number one, we had to stop and say, thank God I live in the United States of America, that I live in a real democracy, that I live in a country that does not allow people to kill their opponents in a political race. I feel very lucky to be an American and not a Russian. Number two, what Putin has done is very personal. He's gone after, in a very personal way, a leading opponent. I think it's time that our sanctions on Russia, and new sanctions are being announced even as you and I are speaking, these sanctions need to target Putin personally. They need to go after his personal wealth, his ability to, and his friends and his family to travel in the world. He needs to be indicted in a criminal court, an international criminal court. We need to personalize these sanctions. And then third and finally, John, this ought to serve as a wake-up call to our Congress here in the United States, who have been fumbling the ball in terms of allocating $60 billion to the Ukrainians to fight against this monster, Vladimir Putin. We had to recognize Putin for what he is, a killer, 
someone who has invaded Ukraine would like to do to President Zelensky what he just did to Alexei Navalny. And we ought to stop it because it's in the interest of our country to stop it. And so I call on the U.S. Congress, Republicans and Democrats together, to stand and say, enough, Putin. The best way to push back on Putin is to arm the Ukrainians. They will do the fighting for us. And uh, there's been a lot of fights in Congress about the Ukrainians, uh, the Israelis. The Republicans are standing up and saying that unless you secure the borders uh, of the United States, we're not going to give you money to secure the borders of Ukraine. Any feeling about that? Well, if you recall, about uh, just over a month ago, there was, I thought, a very good piece of legislation that did all of that. It provided funding, significant funding for the border, along with, I think, some realistic policy changes, because I agree, we have to secure our border. That bill included funding to do so alongside funding for Ukraine, for Israel, and for Taiwan. It was a smart piece of legislation. Unfortunately, the consensus between the parties fell apart. So now they parked border security kind of off to the side. And now they're trying to resolve the Ukraine and the Israeli part of this. So my view, John, is let's get Ukraine and Israel done. A vast majority of both houses of Congress, both parties support funding to Ukraine and to Israel. That is eminently doable. Let's get that done. And then let's turn our attention back to the border. We'll get that secured. I think both parties want to do that, particularly in the run-up to an election where most Americans would say border security matters deeply. Now, Admiral, uh, we got a problem. Uh, all these new, all these new and old terrorist groups are back to life again. We know that Iran is funding the Houthis and the Hamases and the uh, Hezbollah, and maybe Saudi is funding ISIS. Who's funding Al Qaeda? I know. I, I mean, the American people really are confused. It is confusing. And uh, in the course of one quick radio interview, we're not going to cover all this waterfront, as would say in the Navy. But let me take three things. One is Iran. And you mentioned Houthis, who are trying to close down the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. You mentioned Hamas, the terrorists who attacked, raped, mutilated Israeli civilians on October the 7th. And you mentioned Hezbollah, which is a group in Lebanon, north of Israel. Here's what they have in common. They're all three terrorist groups. Their names all begin with H. That's just a coincidence. But the big thing they have in common is they're all trained, equipped, organized, funded, and directed by the Islamic Republic of Iran. They are directed by mullahs in Iran. So that's one discrete set of challenges. It's got three heads on it. But the United States, working with a big coalition of allies, partners, and friends, is pushing back on all three of those. You also mentioned al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is on its back foot. It's still conducting some operations. It has bases here and there. But it is fading in importance, and what funding it gets 
it generates on its own through extortion, cyber activity, and various criminal enterprises. I don't overthink al-Qaeda these days. Last one, Islamic State based essentially in Syria and Iraq is a Sunni terrorist group that receives its funding like al-Qaeda, but it gets more because it's better at the extortion racket, the cyber criminal activity, selling antiquities. It has a very broad business base. That one is also being addressed by a coalition set of forces in Iraq and Syria itself. So, John, it is very confusing. And the way to think about all these groups, it's like fighting a forest fire. You put out the big fire, but you got to be aware there's still embers on the ground and that these things could reflash at any moment. That's the situation we're in now. Admiral, what else do you have to you want to get off your chest that you think the American people should know? <laughs> well, I think the American people should know something that's going relatively well compared to what we've just talked about, and that's at the moment U.S.-China relations are going not terribly, but kind of okay, uh, and that is the result they're, of— They're sending us pandas again, so they must be feeling better. <laughs> Exactly. That's not a bad thing. And we want U.S. and China to work together over time. We're going to have a lot of disagreements with China. China is our principal strategic competitor. But at least for the next year or two, largely because China is having economic problems, China is willing to work with us more than they have been in the past. Let's take a little bit of comfort out of that. And who knows, there might be a, a scenario in which we could actually work with China to resolve some of the other problems you and I have talked about. That's in the future. But at the moment, what I would say to Americans is, at least we're not in high tension with China at this particular moment. Let's hope it stays that way. Admiral Stavridis, thank you for everything you've done for America, and let's catch up again real soon. Efkadi Sto, my friend. Talk soon. Yeah, Bye-bye. Yes, sir. This is the Catch Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. With us today is the First Lady of the Commonwealth of Virginia, Suzanne S. Youngkin, and uh, uh, she is, has very many uh, concerns. The one, one big concern is the fact of uh, drugs and fentanyl. Suzanne Youngkin, why are you focusing specifically on fentanyl? Well, good morning, John, and thank you so much for welcoming me. I am just absolutely thrilled that you are prioritizing conversations on fentanyl. Here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, we have just unveiled a campaign called It Only Takes One. The idea being it takes one mistake, one counterfeit pill that can cost a person their life. And listening to Virginians, I am hearing over and over stories of devastation among young people and families who have inadvertently taken a poisonous pill. Every day this year in Virginia, an average of five persons will die from fentanyl poisoning. We lost 1,500 Virginians just last year from fentanyl overdoses. 200 of those, John, were teens and college-age kids. As the mother of four, I will not stand idly by and let this continue to ravish our communities. 
I understand that, and uh, we've all had friends and kids of friends uh, die. And it seems like our country is under its attack from foreign entities that are sending it through the Mexican borders. And the problem in Virginia itself, it seems you're losing 1,500 people a year. That's a lot of people. And, and I understand the problem nationwide over, is over 100,000 in the last 12 months. That is more people than died in Afghanistan, Vietnam, and Korea all put together. What, what do you think is going on here? Yes, well, my main concern, to your point, is that overdose deaths in the United States Tied to fentanyl specifically have absolutely soared nearly 300 percent from 2016 to 2021. This problem is only increasing. And as I mentioned, particularly I am concerned about our young people. 15 percent of America's children aged 5 to 17 have received treatment for mental health conditions, and they are increasingly turning to pills and chemicals and drugs and marijuana to ease their pain and their discomfort. Overdose deaths among U.S. teenagers have doubled in the last decade. And what we're seeing is very sinister behavior on social media platforms. Things like Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. We know, John, that dealers of fentanyl advertise on these platforms with emojis and code words. And they look for comments in youth correspondence to try to message them directly. You can buy pills via Snapchat for minuscule amounts that will be delivered to your door. Pills like Percocet, Xanax, Adderall, even marijuana. And youth are unknowingly ingesting these and they have no shot. It takes two tiny grains the size of salt to kill an individual. And I know that not a single person listening to your show does not know someone in their orbit that has been touched by this poison. What message can we send to parents uh, to say to them, what could parents actually do? Do the kids look like they have uh, an effect uh, or, or is there any kind of signs that they should be seeing? Well, when I talk to particularly mothers, and I talk to a lot of mothers who have lost family members, they do say that there are some signs, children being closed off in their rooms, children maybe hanging out with different groups of people. But you know what? It's every single situation is individual. And what our campaign is saying to parents is that it is imperative, A, that you talk about it. Many people don't know, John, this is an anomaly to families. They can't fathom that their child would take something that would immediately kill them. And so we are saying it only takes one, one parent not to talk to a child, one friend not to report unusual behavior to an adult, one educator to see signs of trouble in the classroom and not address it. One medical practitioner not to talk to parents about the dangers of opioids when children have injuries that require surgery. And more specifically, John, here's what I would like to say to parents. You need to be telling your loved ones that they absolutely cannot put a single thing in their body that was not delivered to them from a licensed pharmacist. 
We have a college-age son. We have told him, do not accept an Advil or a Tylenol from a friend if you have a headache when you're studying in the library. Do not take a pill at a party. Do not order something online to help you focus better, to study, or to ease a physical pain. The only thing today that is safe, the only thing, is a prescription drug that is handed over a counter to someone prescribed by a licensed practitioner. And otherwise, do not put anything else in your body. Have you lost any close friends? Has it affected you personally at all? We have, John. As a matter of fact, my um, really enthusiasm about spreading the news on this issue is born out of tragedy. Uh, We raised our children in a small community in Virginia, Great Falls, Virginia, and a very dear young friend took what he thought was a Percocet, granted a bad decision, bought it off of the internet, and he died in his sleep. The coroner said he had absolutely no chance to live after he took that pill. He was 21 years old. He had attended elementary school with our own children. His parents were loving, adoring, responsible individuals. Left in his wake were two wonderful brothers. And we really knew nothing about fentanyl in the autumn of 2020 when this happened to our dear friend. And we mourned, we mourned, but we also set about learning and understanding what was happening and making sure that when God blessed us with this very unique opportunity to have a platform for serving and helping others, that we made conversations around this most difficult issue a priority. Because, John, we want to save lives. We don't want this to happen to another family in Virginia in America, or in this world. And so we're very dedicated to growing green growth out of what were ashes in our own personal life because of loss. Suzanne Youngkin, First Lady of Virginia, thank you for what you do, and thank you for taking an active position. Please give the governor my personal regards, and and, uh, let's keep fighting for America. Thank you so much, John. So grateful to you. And if anyone would like to learn more, you can visit It Only Takes One VA, in, as in Virginia, dot com. God bless and have a, a great weekend. Thank you so much. God bless, John. Thank you. With us today is Senator Ron Johnson, one of the most common sense senators I know. He's from Wisconsin. Senator, uh, good morning. Things are not getting any better. What, what the heck is going on? Good morning, John. Well, it's called Democrat. Governance. I've, I've probably said this on your show before, but if you had to, if you're asked to develop a strategy to destroy this country, you could not come up with a better game plan than what President Biden and his Democrat allies, allies in Congress are doing. The open borders, the 40-year high inflation, war on fossil fuels, you know, the, the foreign policy that is just a disaster. You know, the surrender in Afghanistan that emboldened people like Putin and the Ayatollahs. No, that, that is what keeps me awake at night is, is what Democrats have done, the, the path they've put America on to destroy us, to divide us. That's, that's the other thing. Identity politics, critical race theory, these are things that Democrats push to divide us, which destroys us. I and mean, as Lincoln has said, a house divided cannot stand, quoting, quoting, quoting scripture. So we do need to unify and heal this nation, but around the principles that made this country great, freedom and a free enterprise system that incentivizes people to create jobs and opportunity. Between the drugs coming through the borders, and I got 
Governor Youngkin's wife uh, is on today. She's starting a national fentanyl uh, campaign because she uh, she is very concerned. Uh, our borders overall, uh, our education system. I, I don't know where to begin and end anymore. The Biden open border policy, the Biden and his Democrat allies in Congress, their open border policy is facilitating the multi-billion dollar business model of some of the most evil people on the planet, the drug traffickers, the human traffickers, the sex traffickers. You know, China, you know, this is a, a strategy of theirs to, to poison America. They, they were sending fentanyl and precursor fentanyl products through the mail, and we, we addressed that to a certain extent. But then with the open border, now they just ship all those precursor chemicals into Mexico, and fentanyl is a highly profitable drug, okay? And it's a highly deadly drug. So that, that's something that Chinese are pushing, but it's Biden's open border policy that's facilitating this poisoning of America. And you, you mentioned education. You talk about critical race theory. You talk about all the, all the, the you know, tr- transgender uh, issues. Again, these are all things that are dividing us. And more Americans have to awaken to what is being done to us, how the Democrat governance is destroying this country. Senator, you're, you're on the Homeland Security uh, Committee. Uh, what, what's going on uh, with Israel? Are they making progress? I heard the other day that they might be looking for a ceasefire. Russia, Ukraine, I mean, it's just a big mess. It is. Listen, Israel had a ceasefire with Hamas, right, for years. Hamas broke the ceasefire in the most brutal and horrific and evil way. Now, Israel has the right to defend itself. You know, Biden's not particularly helping trying to egg them on to all these ceasefires. And listen, everybody would like the war to end, but Israel has to destroy Hamas. And so they're going about doing it, and that is their right to do so. But again, were America stronger? Reagan was right, you achieve peace through strength. And when these tyrants, when these totalitarians, when these evil people see a weakened America, that's when they act. That's when they have the opportunity to do what Putin did in Ukraine, what the Ayatollahs are doing to foster all this terrorism throughout the Middle East and throughout the world. You know, it certainly emboldens China as well. So we need to get our fiscal house in order here in America. We need to strengthen America. We need to unify America. That, that's what a president ought to be doing. Yet this president is probably the, the most divisive president in my lifetime. Uh, a close second is probably Obama. And again, that's what people need to understand, what the Democrat Party is doing, or so many, so many elements of it, seeking to divide this country, all for, all for the purpose of winning elections and trying to move us to pretty much one-party control. And that's a great danger here in 2024. We, we can't let them win. I understand there's a lot of Chinese coming through the borders uh, near California, near Arizona. Are these people that are coming in, they seem to, they're very well-dressed. Are they coming in in lieu of buying the EB-5 ability to come in, or are they military type that the, the Chinese government is sending in. Any gut feeling? Well, I think the vast majority of people who come to this country illegally are doing it for economic purposes, okay, economic migrants. But when, when you, you hear about unaccompanied children, you, you, we are yes, you're talking about some three, four, five-year-olds, but primarily 70% or more are 15 and older. And it is true, more than 150 nations have been represented. I mean, people from 150 nations have come across this country illegally, and so many of them are military-age men from the Middle East, from China. It's one of the questions I have with Biden being so compromised with his corruption. What he's done, I mean, is one of the reasons he's, his response to Iran so weak 
is that he has intelligence that there may be sleeper cells in here? Is his response to China so weak because of what China, what assets they may have here? So we really don't know. The Department of Justice, FBI, CIA, they're not being forthcoming with Congress or the American people. So if they know things, they're not sharing it with us. But I'm, I'm highly concerned about it, which is why I keep saying the open border is a clear and present danger to America on a host of fronts. The drug trafficking, the potential of sleeper terror cells, uh, other military-aged men coming in here. And this is obvious danger, and yet Biden wants an open border. His Democrat allies in Congress want an open border. They, they vote against completing the fence, the wall that we'd already bought and paid for that cost us more not to build it than to actually complete it. I mean, I can't explain these people. All I know is the results are horrific for America, and they need to be stopped. So Christopher Ray, the FBI director, has stood up and pressed uh, the red button and said, we're in danger, there's things happening. So at, at least that's a start for him doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm highly disappointed in Christopher Ray. His, his primary task was to, to restore integrity and credibility of the FBI. He's done the exact opposite. But I do appreciate yes. his testimony before Congress where he said all the warning lines are flashing. You know, we've not had this threat from foreign terrorist organizations as high since 9-11. So at least he's, he's, you know, he's warning us. Anything else you want to get off your chest? Well, I like to leave people with a little bit, a little bit of hope. Uh, you know, listen, America is a good country because Americans are good people. We, we need, to, we need to embrace that. We need to re-embrace what made this country great: freedom. The truth is the higher value. It's getting more and more difficult to discern the truth, but pursue it. Get involved in politics in your area so that we can turn back the tide and put America back on the right path. Senator uh, Ron Johnson, thank you so much for coming on and. God bless you, and God bless America. God bless you. Have a great day. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. With us today is the leader of uh, the United States Congress, Hakeem uh, Jeffries. Mr. Leader, uh, welcome back to New York. You're home. It's good to be home. It's good to be on the show. Earlier today, I was on The View. Now I'm with John Casamatidis. It's a quintessential New York City media day. I've lived in New York for over 70 years. went to public schools in New York. I went to Brooklyn Tech. Uh, and uh, I love New York. We have to make New York survive. Right now, we're, so many New Yorkers are afraid of what's going on. You tell us. I mean, you're a New Yorker. You walk around. Uh, what, can, what can we do to help New York? Well, there are challenges that we have to address, of course, to continue to make sure that New York City remains the greatest city in the world. I was proud to be born and raised, grow up in Brooklyn, then go to Brooklyn Tech, went to Midwood uh, High School. They had a good football team. They had a good football team. I didn't play on it. But they had a good football team. I played baseball in high school, and it was a wonderful experience. You know, we want to make sure that we can continue to move forward as a great city. And so I think that requires, of course, a consistent fight 
for lowering costs, addressing, you know, the high cost of living that exists. It's a challenge all across America, but it's always been a situation here in New York, particularly around housing. Uh, I know it's an area that you have great expertise. We want to make sure we can continue to build housing and create and preserve as much affordable housing as possible so that New York City can continue to be home for the middle class, all those who aspire to be part of it, and people who go beyond it. I think we need all classes. You want the the class that pays uh, $55 for a hamburger, and you want the class that pays $5 for a hamburger to average things out, don't you? Our diversity is a great strength across the board, right? That's racial, that's religious, that's artistic, that's cultural, and it's socioeconomic, right? The entire spectrum. This should be a place for everyone. Now, tell me, uh, you guys, uh, between you and Mike Johnson, you're one or two votes apart. Are you, do you have a dialogue? Are you discussing things together? Yeah, my view from the very beginning of this Congress is that as House Democrats, we are ready, we're willing, we're able to find bipartisan common ground on any issue at any time, any place, in order to make life better for the American people to address issues related to the economy, public safety, national security, and we should always be willing to do that. And so Mike Johnson and I speak regularly, try to figure out where are those places of commonality. Now we also recognize that there will be times that we may disagree with the best possible approach for the American people. However, I think we've made the decision to agree to disagree without being disagreeable with each other. And my view I think you share this view, John, is that in Washington, we need less chaos and more common sense. Uh, Absolutely. Common sense has to be the key word. Uh, And what I say to people, it's not about being a Democrat or being a Republican. It's having common sense and saving our country. Now, the biggest disagreement in the last few months uh, has been uh, one of two things. One is the border. We've had a discussion uh, before, and I said that, look, I'm a, I am an immigrant. I believe in immigration, but I believe in checks and balances, and we should know who's coming and going. The Republicans are accusing the Democrats of saying, you want open borders with no checks and balances. Can you tell us the truth? And thank you for that question. Of course we don't want open borders. We have a broken immigration system. It needs to be fixed. We have challenges at the border that need to be addressed. Our view is that we should do it in a comprehensive, bipartisan, common sense fashion. And oh, by the way, there was a bipartisan, comprehensive bill that was negotiated in the Senate for months that would have infused significant resources into addressing our border security challenges and resulted in a compromise between Democrats and some very conservative Republicans. And it had the votes to pass the United States Senate until the former president, Donald Trump, instructed the Republicans to kill the bill. And that was unfortunate because, in my view, that's a political stunt. We should not play politics with our border security or our national security. And I'm hopeful that we can get those discussions back on track. Clearly, we have challenges at the border that need to be addressed. My view is that it should be done in a manner consistent with two values. As you pointed out, John, from your own experiences, America as a nation of immigrants, legal immigration, but also America as a nation anchored in the rule of law. And we can solve these problems. 
if we're willing to do it together. We, all we have to do is get one round table and we'll all sit down together and, and do it. Because the Republicans are going out saying that you want 5,000 uncontrolled immigrants a day. So are they wrong? They are wrong. There is nothing in the legislation that was being negotiated that would effectively authorize thousands of people to show up and just be ushered in. That's just wrong. And don't take my word for it. Just ask conservative senator from Oklahoma, James Lankford, who was the chief Republican negotiator, one of the most conservative senators in the United States of America who negotiated the bill on behalf of Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. He would never authorize thousands of people coming in unchecked and unregulated. Nobody wants to see that. We all recognize that there are issues at the border that are real. We are ready to work together to solve them. We just need our Republican partners to join us as opposed to effectively coming to the conclusion that we'd rather the political issue in November than solving the problem on behalf of the American people right now. The other big issue, uh, leader, is uh, is Ukraine and Israel. What is going on? We, it seems like we had chaos. And I had uh, Mike Pompeo and Admiral Stavridis on a few weeks ago. And I said, how many countries have to be involved in a war before you call it World War Three? And we got a lot of countries involved right now. What do we do to, to make peace? We have to stand behind our democratic allies throughout the world, like Israel, Ukraine, our partners in the Indo-Pacific, which includes Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan, who are dealing with the Chinese Communist Party in their region. And also at the same time, make sure that we're surging humanitarian assistance to Palestinian civilians and other civilians who are in harm's way throughout the world in theaters of war through no fault of their own. That's a comprehensive approach that passed the Senate with Democratic and Republican votes. In our view, we just need an up or down vote because the world is on fire. And there's this coalition of Russia, China, and Iran. And you know, it's anchored around three principles, tyranny, totalitarianism, and terror, as Israel experienced in the most horrific fashion on October 7th. They all get along with each other. And America's on the opposite side of that. And so it's in our own national security interests to make sure that we push back and that America can continue to be the leader of the free world. Ever since the price of oil doubled uh, when, uh, I guess, President Biden doesn't like fossil fuels, in uh, a trillion dollars, and maybe I'm exaggerating a little, has moved in wealth from North America to Russia and the OPEC nations. We took Iran from 400,000 barrels a day to 4 million barrels a day. We made them zillionaires, and they took the money, Mr. Leader, they took the money and they funded the Iranian Foreign Legion, Hamas, the uh, Hezbollah. Hezbollah, and the uh, Yotis, uh, Yotis, or whatever, okay. the and the Houthis. And when President Biden tried to get the price of oil down, it was down to 68, 69, Iran told the Houthis, Closed down the Red, uh, the Red Sea and, and the Suez Canal and forced oil back up to 79. 
$10 difference, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Mr. Speaker, See, I might be talking in advance, Mr. Leader. Uh, is a uh, billion dollars a day, of which Russia and the OPEC nations get $500 million a day to do their bidding. Well, I think we're going to see additional sanctions being leveled at Russia. It's my understanding that that's going to happen over the next few days. Russia is not our friend. They're our enemy, which is why it's shocking to me well, that you have pro-Putin people in the United States House of Representatives right now Russia, stopping us from defeating Russia. Ten million barrels a day they're producing at $100 a barrel. That's a billion dollars a day. It funds their entire economy. It funds their war against Ukraine. Well, that's I mean, I got tears. I got to use the Kleenex. But there are over 190 countries in the world. Not everyone shares our values. So yeah. There are going to be countries that deal yeah. with Russia. We don't. But we're making them rich. Well, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. But what I would say is that we should continue to explore all of the avenues available to us to impose real consequences on Russia, deal with and manage the strategic competition with the Chinese Communist Party, and certainly aggressively push back against Iran and make sure that we're there for our friend and democratic ally Israel, with whom we have a very special relationship a relationship that benefits both parties. Hakeem Jeffries, thank you for uh, being with us today. And I look to continue our discussions. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Dick Morris, was uh, uh, Bill Clinton's advisor, was uh, Trump's advisor. Dick Morris, what the heck is going on in our country? I don't, the truth is, I don't know what's going on. People say to me, who's running? I said, right now it's uh, Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump. What say you? That it's Joe Biden and Donald Trump, and Biden's going to be the next president. Uh, I think it's always possible that the Democrats get Biden out and they try to put someone in, possibly Michelle Obama. But um, at the moment, you have to plan on it being Joe Biden. And Trump is massively... Well, our, our other friend, David Axelrod, got up and said, no way is Michelle Obama running. Yeah, and well, David Axelrod, we both go back with him. Yeah. I go well, back to him when he was running Freddie Farrar's campaign. <laughs> that may be true. And it may be an act that Michelle is putting on. But in any case, it's a possibility you have to look at. But in terms of the Biden versus Trump race, it is no longer a race. It's now an absolute and total rout. The Harris X poll, which is the Harvard Harris poll, that used to be the Lou Harris poll. And I think it's the most reliable there is. My former partner, Mark Penn, runs it. Now has Biden six points behind Trump. And that's in a two-way race. And he expanded to a four-way race, including Robert Kennedy in the Green Party and Cornell West, the five-way race. That lead expands to eight or nine points. And in every swing state, Trump has now a beyond the statistical margin of error lead. In Georgia, he's 11 ahead. In Michigan, he's seven ahead. In Wisconsin, he's five ahead. And, and these are not going to be close races. So you literally have the collapse of the Democratic Party. And on top of that, the situation for the Democrats in the Senate has gotten worse by the day. They were hanging on attentively, although they would lose control because Manchin is not running. And Jim Justice, the Republican governor, will win that seat. And if the Republicans elect the vice president, then they'll be able to break the tie and control the Senate. But beyond that, 
you have a new candidate in Maryland, Larry Hogan, who's a liberal Republican governor, a throwback to Nelson Rockefeller. And he's defeating his likely Democratic opponents by 10 points each. Uh, he's likely to be almost a shoo-in. And then you have likelihood of Republican wins in Arizona, where there's a three-way race, and Kerry Lake is likely to win. And very good chances for Republican takeover in Ohio, where with Sherrod Brown, the Democratic incumbent, probably is going to lose. So the Democrats are now looking at, optimistically for them, 48 or 47 seats. And in fact, it may be as low as 45. And in the House, you can't look at the margins by which Trump is going to win and think that the House will in any way be close. So while the media loves to focus on these lawsuits, the judgments, the indictments and all of that, they don't mount so much politically. There is some financial consequence for Trump, but it won't be visible. He'll find all kinds of ways of getting around it or paying it off. And the political consequences will not be harsh. They'll be positive. The worse it gets, the more better Trump does. And I think that what's going on in politics right now is clearer than it's ever been, which is it is a massive Trump win that's coming. But can he get there? I mean, they're doing everything possible to try to destroy the man in uh, in New York financially. And yeah. then I understand Alvin Bragg is trying to uh, get him criminally. And they put him in that position. Is, I think it backfires, John. And I think that the persecution of Donald Trump has swelled his margin in the polls incredibly. You have to ask yourself why Trump was two to three points ahead in January. And now he's seven to eight points ahead in late February. And the only thing that's changed, though two things have changed, the collapse of Joe Biden's mental ability and the perception, his senility, and the perception that Trump is being persecuted and villainized and encouraging people to stand by him. And I think those are the two developments of the last two months, and they've both given Trump incredible new power. Well, I mean, uh, I compared it to the Salem witch hunts. Yeah, it is. But the except there, at that point, there was a lot of women subject to it. Now there's only one designated witch, and that's Donald Trump. <laughs> but the people aren't, aren't buying that. Well, you're on today at noontime, uh, between yep. noontime and 2 o'clock, and I always enjoy your show. Uh, anything in particular you're going to talk about? Yeah, we're going to talk about the transition from 2024 being a competitive race between two relatively evenly balanced forces and the increasingly emerging reality that is a massive landslide for Trump. Dick Morris, okay. I'll be listening in today we'll at your time, and God bless. With us today is Dr. Peter Michalos, a good friend, a great doctor, a great historian. Dr. Peter Michalos, and what do we, we stand for? We stand for what? Live long what? and prosper. Live long and prosper. What are we going to do today? What is it going to make us to, uh, possibly live, live to be 100? Well, today we're going to talk about problems and how the kidney is the master controller and master filter of our blood. It takes out all the waste products and byproducts of metabolism. And the kidney also is a master controller of blood pressure. And one of the things that can happen in our urinary system is uh, called kidney stones. And they can be out of different materials. One is called uric acid. The other one is called calcium oxalate. And what happens is when our metabolism is out of whack, certain foods can also cause it. These stones slowly build up 
and they build up and they get larger and larger. And eventually they travel down the urinary tract system and their sharp little edges and they hurt tremendously and you can get flank pain, nausea and vomiting and you can feel a lot of discomfort. So one of the things you need to do is drink a lot of water to help prevent the stones. You have to avoid eating certain things like organ meats, red meat, beer, alcoholic beverages. A lot of sardines, anchovies, or selfish in excess can increase it. And also things like colas, dark chocolate, and spinach can aggravate these calcium oxalate crystals. Part of the treatment is they give you, sometimes you end up in the emergency room because the pain is so great, they have to give you IV fluids. Sometimes they give you a medicine called an alpha blocker to dilate the smooth muscle of the tube called the ureter, the track that these stones travel through, and get rid of them. Sometimes if they are so big that they won't come out, you have to actually go in with these microsurgical instruments through the ureter, and you can actually pull them out. Another last resort when they're higher up and you can't reach them is something called lithotripsy, which is powerful sound waves, which can actually, they put a gel pad up against your flank and they direct it at the stone. And the powerful sound waves cause it to break up into a million little sand-like pebble pieces and then we pass them along. Sometimes they even give you a strainer when you have a kidney stone because you can catch it, you can analyze it and send it to the lab. So these are some of the things that you could do to help prevent and treat. But when you get a kidney stone and you have a fever, you have to be very careful because you could get a bad infection, and kidney infections can be very toxic. So it's very important. And another thing that you want so to So question, about before, I, I, I should avoid eating too many Greek spinach pies? Too much spinach will uh, give you uh, stones, you think? Yeah. If you have it every day, everything is moderation. You can't really eat the same food every single day. Some things you can get away with, like obviously water, you know, you can get away with eggs and things like that. But certain foods that cause high levels of uric acid or calcium in the bloodstream, the, the, the kidney can only tolerate so much. The same way when we have very high blood sugar, the kidney says, oh, my goodness, I need to get this sugar out of the blood. So it has to mix it with urine. And that's how many diabetics get first diagnosed because they're running to the bathroom all the time because they need to dissolve all that extra sugar into the water of the kidney and pee it out. And th those are some of the uh, signs. So the kidney is really a master control center, and a lot of the medicines for blood pressure also act on the kidney to help control our blood pressure. The other type of stone we talked about is gallstones. That's different. That's bile acid produced in the liver, and the little pump is called a gallbladder. And it, when you eat a fatty meal, it shoots it into the intestine to break down meats and fried food. That's why many people get stone attacks after they eat fried food or meat. And that's different. When those stones get big, sometimes they require surgical removal, though there are some medications that they give for that. But stones can form in our body, and it's maintaining the healthy balance. Always consult with your physician and continue to live long and prosper. So there are... Kidney stones, there are gallstones. Does any other part of the body uh, have any problem like that? Yes, in our joints, we can get uric acid stones called gout. When we eat a lot of, for example, people eat a whole bunch of fish or caviar, the uric acid levels get high, and these stones called uric acid crystals can form in the joints, and they're like little razor blades, and they hurt quite a bit. So you have to drink a lot of water. 
And sometimes you have to take a medicine that blocks the formation of these uric acid stones. So that's I take. I think I take allopurinol. Yes, that blocks the formation of the uric acid stones to control gout. Well, I mean, that's very valuable information because uh, kidney stones or gallstones and gout, on your, especially on your toes, can cause a lot of pain and drink a lot of water. 100 ounces a day keeps the doctor away. That's the magic number for an average human. 100 ounces of water a day helps to keep the doctor away from many different conditions. Dr. Peter Mihalos, live long and prosper. Thank you so much for coming on this Sunday morning. Thank you, John, for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable. Every Sunday morning, we'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday. I'm Andrea, founder of a boutique handbag brand, Andy, and this is why I switched to Shopify. I tried three other platforms prior to Shopify, and I remember my breaking point was when I would try to make one little change and my entire site would go down. Shopify made it really easy for me to shift everything over and hit the ground running. I was able to migrate my products and all of my customer information over. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Go to shopify.com listen to take your business to the next level today.